Welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast, the show where I, Ben Talon, illustrator and writer, invite people from the creative industry and far beyond to share their story of creativity, both the nature and the nurture, the chaos and the calm. Creativity is a fundamental pillar of human happiness, something I'm increasingly fascinated by. It is so often misunderstood. So little by little, I hope to build an archive of valuable stories, experiences and tips to help you maximise yours. It's September and I'm bringing you something today for the graduates. So I remember back when I finished university, I uh, struggled immensely with the cut-off from educational support and the peers and the studio space and suddenly you're in the world. You've got bigger bills and it's horrible. So I wanted to bring you a chapter from my debut book, Champagne and Wax Crayons. And the reason I'm doing that is I'm currently editing that book. And uh, as I read through chapter four, which is called Welcome to Freelancing, I thought, you know what, September, it's going to be a tough time for people who have maybe just left university or perhaps have been out there a little longer. Maybe you're even having some relapses because let's face it, it never gets easy. So whatever the weather for you, I wanted to read you this exclusive chapter from the book ahead of a brand new ebook edition of the book that's coming out and I hope it's of some value. Hello and welcome to the Creative Condition Podcast. My name is Ben Tal and I'm your host. This is a little bonus ball for you today. It wasn't planned. Um, it's Monday morning. It's pretty gloomy here in Salisbury. I'm sat in my shorts and for the first time in a while I'm questioning whether I need to change into jeans. And I just got that sluggishness. So I thought, you know what, I can't really apply myself to anything in particular this morning in terms of promotion active work that can come this afternoon so i'm going to work on the edit for a new ebook edition of champagne and wax crayons riding the madness of the creative industries which was my debut book originally published by lid publishing and the books come back to me so seven years on the contract ended the book is back in my hands and i am working on a brand new it's only marginally edited there was a couple of typos in there and a couple of bits that as i've become a better writer i figured i could strengthen so i'm doing a new ebook edition which is exclusively mine there's going to be a brand new cover and as i was working through that this morning i came to chapter four called welcome to freelancing and i thought this is the time to to just put this out there so i like to do that anyone who listens to this show will know that you don't do over 180 episodes of a podcast if you don't give a shit about the content. And this show is all about creative storytelling. It's about sharing those journeys. It's about strengthening this kind of archive that I'm trying to build that I hope will strengthen creativity as a whole, that will give people access to loads of stories and opinions and mistakes that people have made that they can then use in their own story. So... I wanted to give this chapter away today as a little teaser, as a little preview, because I just thought there might be some value. I know what it feels like at this time of the year. And, I mean, it's testing for all of us. The mornings are getting darker, the evenings are getting darker. It's um, right now, as I record this in 2022, the cost of living crisis. Well, it's, um, it's, the, the war is still going on in Ukraine. It's, it's pretty horrible out there. And for anyone who's starting freelancing at this time, that's got to be testing. So, you know, if nothing else, you might get a giggle from this chapter. Hopefully, it gives you some insights. And let me also say that this stuff doesn't change. It gets it gets a bit easier because you know that this stuff ebbs and flows. But it's still tough. 
but especially at the start if you're just looking to get into the industry it can feel like what's going on like i where am i what have i done with my life i've just left this degree where i had this lovely probably didn't realize it at the time but you have this almost woolly coating of you know of peers like i said at the start or tutors or studio space and people to ask questions and and, and almost a buffer between that and real cutthroat gotta find work um i could talk all day about it it took me about two years to get started as a freelance illustrator because i chose to go the road of working full-time to pay the bills which will come up in this chapter um and even then shaky you know very vulnerable at the start very volatile uh, it takes a while to get established and get stability anyway the chapter is going to cover all that big thank you to the founding supporter of the show the wonderful illustration x maybe there's a conversation to be had about agency representation at some point on this show it was something i wanted to do a while ago and for many reasons it never manifested uh, but check out illustration x they do a lot of great stuff in the industry working with the likes of the association of illustrators another former supporter of this show great organization by the way if you're starting as an illustrator do a lot of good work these days in terms of events and business advice and the membership i would suggest is well worth your money um so a big thank you to Illustration X. They got this show off the ground with me. You can check out their illustration and animation portfolios now over at illustrationx.com and follow their social media story at We Are Illustration X on Instagram and Twitter. They're also on Facebook. Go and check them out there. Um, so I'm going to read you the chapter and I hope you enjoy it. Champagne and Wax Crayons, Riding the Madness of the Creative Industries by Ben Talon. Chapter 4. Welcome to Freelancing. There's this overnight changeover that happens immediately after you've thrown your hat in the air during the graduation ceremony. Nothing feels that different. You're most likely still broke and many familiar faces are still in town, but your status switches emphatically from student to unemployed. And the psychological impact of that is not to be underestimated. Drinking in the afternoon is no longer acceptable without the social camouflage with which higher education shrouds you. I managed to turn my weekend job at Waterstones Bookstore into a full-time 8.30am until 5pm gig. This meant I switched from manning the tills, dealing with customers upstairs, to unpacking boxes of books in the goods in department, a cold basement under the shop. It alleviated the financial pressure somewhat, but I felt the hot breath of my inner voice whispering to me, telling me I was not making any creative progress in this job. But what alternative did I have without a student loan? This was the first time in my life that I'd had to worry about rent and council tax. Waterstones was a good gig. The company looked after their staff more than most employers for whom I'd previously worked, and the staff roster included many creative people. I shared the role with a guy who had done Goods in job for a few years. His dry sense of humour made it enjoyable for the most part. You'll find artistic worth in absolutely anything if you look for it, and that place was full of interesting members of staff. Everyone seemed to be chasing a dream or on their way back from one. Some of the friendships I made in Waterstones brought great support and encouragement at a time when I really needed it. At this point, I wasn't quite seeing the long-term positives that having a full-time job to finance your passion provides. That way of thinking would take a few more years to develop. I set myself what felt like a realistic goal to be self-employed and illustrating full-time when Euro 2008 came around two years later, so that I would not have to worry about pulling sick days to watch the England football matches. 
I bought a £20 garden table, dragged the spare kitchen chair upstairs and stuck a photo of Damon Albarn on the wall, who was now four years departed from Blur and no less musically active and still inspiring me. This would be my office and I attempted to start crafting a portfolio that was better than embarrassing. The changeover from full-time education to working on my artwork on top of my full-time job was incredibly hard going. I lived with two of my fellow illustration graduates and friends who were in the same boat, adrift on the sea of sobering transition. We all lacked any sort of healthy pressure to do new work now that we had no external authority to satisfy. The biggest thing that was missing was someone more experienced than us to provide critical feedback about our work. I found myself not only struggling to produce anything of any merit but floundering completely. I had reverted back to college standards, seemingly overnight. Self-confidence dipped alarmingly, and I found myself doing anything other than illustrating. I started watching even more wrestling, and got into reading strange books, like one detailing all the possible doomsday scenarios that a friend had picked up and brought round to the house. He found it funny, knowing fine well that my morbid curiosity would compel me to read it, and I almost set myself into a state of mental disrepair. I have a fascination with horror films and associated weirdness, which I cannot ignore, despite the fact that my imagination runs riot and unravels me completely. I've never touched hallucinogenic drugs for this reason. Creative minds are ethereal and unpredictable places, beautiful and rippling with great intent, but full of trapdoors and pits of stupidity and needless worrying, and I did a lot of that, mainly about my career prospects during my Waterstones days. The lack of customers, now supplanted by trolleys full of books, which couldn't complain or ask me where the popular science section was situated, meant I was left with too much thinking time on my hands. The old Apple desktop computer I had bought from a colleague at Waterstones had none of the programs I required to complete my illustrations, and a month later stopped working altogether. I would draw portraits using pen and ink or have a go at self-initiating an editorial illustration brief, but it was dire and I could not finish them, since my working process required a computer. I became quite downhearted about my prospects. Despite seven years in education, it occurred to me that I had no clue how to make a decent living as an artist. I kind of grasped that an art director or an art editor was the person at a print publication who I needed to contact for work. They were responsible for sourcing all images used in a magazine or newspaper. Whether that was buying the rights to use a stock photograph or commissioning a full page or front cover illustration. I knew that illustration was often used in advertising, but I had no way of knowing if the people that I had to contact to get editorial work would have the same job title in advertising agencies. What was the difference between the art director and a creative director? Why do theatres insist on using the full extended title artistic director? Is that pomposity or practical sensibility? How fine artists made any kind of living selling ceramic vaginas or traditional canvas paintings was a riddle to me. Let's face it, that's a pretty niche market. Some of the graphic designers told me they had jobs lined up from their university placement employers whom they had impressed. Envy turned my eyes green. One lad started on 25,000 salary the week after graduation, while the closest I was getting to the art world was through the pages of the books I was arranging and sending up two floors in Waterstones. Had I chosen the wrong degree? Was I becoming the classic person qualified to high heaven, but unable to get a gig at a local hardware store? These questions kept me awake into the early hours. I figured that soon I would send some sample work to a selection of magazines and take it from there. Soon. Aside from getting a gig as an art worker at some greeting cards company, 
it was the only realistic starting point that I could see. After a while, I started to feel I had exhausted the value of my job at Waterstones. Progression within the company was not something that interested me. My heart was in the creative industries. During lunch breaks at work, I'd eat my packed lunch as soon as possible and head for the art and design corner of the store to flick through the creative compendiums. Each page slapped my snivelling face with a beautiful, distinctly styled image on heavy gloss stock. I wanted this lifestyle so urgently, but it felt detached and distant because I wasn't doing anything creative to further myself to earn it. That garden table office was gathering dust. It's who you know. That old expression, it's who you know, not what you know, is kind of true. But what you have to ask is how do you get to know these people? You're not just handed a network. You have to work for that, and people have to like you and what you do. Time, patience, money, effort, personality, and what you know is also important. So don't be fooled. I graduated with an empty database. Rich Taylor had graduated at the same time from the furniture design degree course. He was a friend of a friend, and I finally met him in person after seeing him ghosting around the art department building a lot without ever getting the chance to say hello. Rich is the kind of person who is happier for you than you are for yourself when something good happens. You feel like you can tell him your filthiest secrets within an hour of meeting him. He had won an award for his chair design at university, and he told me about a creative grant that was available through an initiative called Fresh Creative. I was so impressed by his furniture design award and his beard that I took notice. My living costs were only just covered by my full-time wage, my outlandishly ambitious football bets were not bearing any fruit. So I had no way of affording the £1,000 worth of Apple Mac that I needed simply to start creating my illustrations. I went to chat to the guys at Fresh Creative and told them that Rich Taylor had sent me to see them. Only one week earlier, I had threatened to quit art for good after the Apple Store had denied me a three-year credit plan on a MacBook laptop computer due to my lack of debt and therefore shoddy credit rating. It felt crushing at the time, was quickly revealed as a blessing in disguise. I was assigned Rich's friend, who steered me through the fresh creative programme. She agreed with his opinion that my graduation portfolio was half decent. I instantly took a shine to her, and we got along well. She walked me through six weeks of one-to-one consultation sessions in which they assisted me in writing a business plan, something I had not even heard of. The process made me answer all the questions that forced me to think about things I had not considered, such as who my market was, how I would reach these people, and what professional attributes set me apart from my competition. I looked forward to my mentoring sessions each week, and the guys running the scheme believed I would be a strong candidate to be awarded some startup money. They were right, and I walked away with a bit of business direction, industry understanding, and just shy of £1,500, a game-changing sum of money, which I spent on a MacBook laptop, the programmes I needed to design things, and some art materials. To an artistic person, the word Business can be like garlic to a vampire. I've witnessed some individuals quit at the very mention of the word. It was used a lot over the six weeks I spent on the Fresh Creative Scheme. It doesn't matter how bohemian you are, how many abstract ideas are rippling through your works, or how far you distance yourself from conventional ideas. The bottom line is, when you are paid to perform your skills, you are operating a business. So you quickly have to start behaving like one in order to be taken seriously. The creative director of wherever does not know that the rip in the left knee of your skinny jeans signifies your indomitable flair. She probably thinks you're a scruffy bastard who should not be trusted with a budget. 
I took a trip down to my local tax office and registered as Ben and Dink Illustration, a title a friend had coined at university. I hated it from the off. It sounded like a pun, but it was memorable, and nobody knew or cared who Ben Talon was, so I stuck with it. Some people talk about having a spirit guide, a guardian presence, invisible to the naked eye. Native Americans, birds of prey and wildcats are common visual associations, but in late 2006, Rich Taylor, a bloke the same age as me, from Chesterfield, was mine. I could see him too, walking in living colour on my earth. He rescued me from the bedroom garden table office at which I'd been avoiding sitting of late. He may as well have worn a cape over the coming few months. He called one of my housemates late one night as the two of us sat sketching at the kitchen table to ask if we had thought about renting a workspace. Two of his fellow furniture design graduates had stumbled upon an old stable that had previously been used as a car garage workshop. They needed two more people to take the cost down to £40 per head per calendar month. I shrugged my shoulders and said, count me in. I figured that if I shaved a couple of pints off each night out, I suddenly had enough capital to rent the space. My £40 per month bought me a freezing cold section of a garage just outside Moor Park in Preston. The stables, named so because prior to being a car garage, the place was used as a stable for horses. It was a 45 minute walk from my house. Some nights, one of the lads who shared with us would drive up there and pick up my housemate and I en route, but most times we'd walk. It had no furniture, but upstairs we had a little sink, toilet and a power supply that ensured we had the basics in place. We sorted out the internet access and a phone line and the resident furniture designers cobbled together the most ridiculously oversized desks for us. They were the size of 12 foot snooker tables and I had to crawl along the top of my desk to reach the pens and spray cans I lined along the back. It also meant that if I wanted to put in a proper shift I had a makeshift bed that only required a duvet. It was really exciting and I wanted to spend all my time there. I remember sitting down with the four others and we each had ideas for collaborations and cool individual projects. We excitedly speed talked over rapidly cooling cups of tea. We were all in line for our industry thrones that night. Anything felt possible. At weekends I would make the most of my time off from Waterstones by spending from 10am until 6 or 7pm in there before going out for beers. 15 hour Sunday stints from 8am till 11pm were not uncommon. Sometimes if Rich was in, I'd go and sit in the corner when he was working, and we'd just talk about everything that was ahead of us as designers. It was exhilarating. The camaraderie made everything feel conquerable. The turnaround from doing nothing, wasting my time in my bedroom, was remarkable. The kettle was our god in that place. A second-hand table became our tea shrine. There was a two-inch gap under the front door where the arctic swirls would breach the place and the only defence we had were halogen heaters so we had to layer up and rely on the pathetic bit of warmth we got out of them to counter the unholy chill. Despite the cold, I sometimes struggled to sleep from sheer excitement, a buzz I seldom feel as an adult. The same giddiness you feel when you were first allowed to stay over at a friend's house or had your first kiss. The stables awakened a passion I had thus far only felt for Leeds United, Blur and professional wrestling. All I wanted to do was create. I used to rush home from Waterstones, eat my tea to save money on buying food out, and then march all the way up to the office wearing three or four jumpers. Renting a workspace created a nice psychological divide between home and work. Sometimes, I didn't even have a plan for when I arrived. I just felt alive when I walked through the door and put the kettle on. This was what I'd been missing.
first commission. Sure enough, my first paid commission came through knowing someone that knew someone. Richie's then girlfriend, Sarah, worked at a design collective in Manchester called Ultimate Holding Company, UHC. They positioned themselves as an ethical creative studio. Sarah was aware of my work through my shared space with Rich and called to see if I was interested in creating an illustration to be used on the cover of Enterprise magazine, a low-budget monthly publication about social enterprises. She told me they had £80 to spend as it was not-for-profit and asked if I could come over to chat about the brief. I was at home when I got the call and it remains the only time I have thrown a loaf of bread at the wall out of pleasure. At the meeting, they told me they loved the work in my portfolio particularly these fairly dark characters I had made by cutting up photocopies of illustrated books about the human body. I just put the skeletal diagrams and muscular, skinless bodies back together again in a more interesting way and drew over the top. They felt it was perfect for the feature on nursing. I asked no questions and came back with this twisted image of a big muscular head with an arm coming out of the mouth, catching coins that had been dropped by a little nurse with only a diagram of a wide-open mouth for a head. If you Google my name... I think it's still out there, somewhere. UHC loved it, but the client went completely bananas when this gothic horoscope landed on their desk and they cancelled the commission immediately, running instead with a really dull, out-of-focus photograph of a bald doctor forcing a smile. I was a little disappointed, but I had learned a valuable basic lesson. Always get the end client's approval before delivering the final artwork. UHC had not floated the concept past the publisher, before giving me the green light, and there was no time to change the artwork before the magazine went to press. Thanks to my having behaved myself sufficiently to learn something during university professional practice modules, I had remembered to confirm the job in writing, a golden rule. So I still got paid, even though I did have to find out what a proper invoice was supposed to look like. I had now landed my first commission, even if it never saw a printing press, and I grew really restless at Waterstones. The job was still enjoyable for the most part, but now I'd had a taste of a career in the arts, I was hopelessly hooked, and everything else immediately paled in comparison. Midway through one of my many impassioned speeches about my plans to rule the art world, which I would spew out to anyone who came downstairs at the shop, my Waterstones goods in colleague cut me off and quietly asked me when I was going to stop talking about it and actually do it. He had worked with me enough to know how much my art meant to me, and I think it had all started to work him that I had not yet left in wholehearted pursuit of it. His question stopped me dead in my tracks, and I muttered something about doing it soon when I could afford to quit my job. When you've spent £950 of a £1,500 overdraft, quitting your job and joining the dole queue isn't the most logical and informed call you can make, but it was the first of several instinctive, compulsive decisions that would have to be made to progress, and I could not ignore my frustration any longer. I handed in my notice and left a fortnight later without a real plan. So I hope you enjoyed that, guys. It's a little taste to the turmoil I was going through, what some of you guys are invariably going to go through, sometimes maybe worse, sometimes maybe less, sometimes none at all. I know people, I should also add, that fell into really great opportunities quite early. As I mentioned there, the designer who landed on 25 grand a week, I can confirm is doing amazingly well now. He's on significantly more money. So there's no right or wrong here. I just wanted to paint a picture in chapter four of Champagne and Wax Crayons of what it feels like to, to land in this, you know, no man's land of uh, post-graduation suddenly after seven years of tutorial input and education and all these people to ask questions and work with bang there's this void and it can be really quite tough so 
you know don't be too discouraged go through the hurt use it channel it find ways to make creative work off the back of it because that's what i had to do that's what i did and um i'm sure if you check out the rest of the book you'll see that it didn't turn out too bad and um i also want to say it still happens i still get the quiet spells and it's still really frustrating and makes you ask all these big questions about yourself but i hope you got something from that chapter i hope you enjoy it there's going to be a brand new ebook of champagne and wax crayons riding the madness of the creative industries coming very soon i'm sixty-five thousand words deep into my second non-fiction book seven years after this book was published called the creative condition the same as this podcast it's going to be a monster of a book um you can pick up the print editions of champagne and wax crayons now at bentallenwriter.com they're actually on offer down to 7.99 and 12.99 give me a shout nice one guys enjoy the rest of your week there's gonna be a brand new show tomorrow at the time of recording it's going to be out tuesday with kerry lyons who's an awesome creative coach and she's going to be talking about all the good stuff around creative blocks and people hitting crossroads in their careers and tapping into their personality so well worth a follow-up if you've already listened to this episode if not it will be out now on all the channels spotify google play uh, stitcher the rest of it wherever you get your podcasts thank you once again to the wonderful supporter of this show illustration x you can check out all their illustration and animation portfolios now at illustrationx.com follow them on social we are illustration x and check myself out at ben Talon. Drop me a message, give me an email, hello at bentallon.com or on the podcast socials at bentallonpod. See you later.